Well, we're going to continue on in our New Testament survey. Uh, Bible Institute, you know, we have a Bible Institute. We had, uh, as of this morning, 650 students from all over the world. Hi, uh, it's a lot of students, yeah, working hard on their degrees and uh, doing coursework, so it's kind of fun to be a part of that. We are doing a New Testament survey right now on Wednesday nights. A survey uh, sort of takes us through the Bible quicker than it did. We spent eight years going through it a chapter at a time, and then remember the hurricane came and we stopped in Numbers 4. We'll get back to that eventually, I believe, but uh, it, we took a break. And uh, I wanted to sort of reprocess and would do some of these overview things that are very helpful in studying and reading the Bible. Remember, one of my things... I'm always encouraging you to do is to spend time reading your Bibles, that uh, as a believer, it's one of the most important things you can do. Read your Bibles and pray. And the enemy, who is very crafty, really works on keeping those two areas out of your life. And uh, he, he, he and we fall for it all the time. We get too busy, and all of a sudden, uh, the spending that time in the Word isn't happening, and then the next thing you know, spending time in prayer isn't happening. And so I want to encourage you all the time, make sure you're doing your daily time, spend time reading the Word, stay connected to the Lord in the process, but um, you should make it your top priority as a believer that you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible and you, you, you're making yourself constantly work through it. You, it's not a one and done deal, the Bible. It's, a, it's an everyday, all your life as a believer, grateful to have it. There's so much powerful stuff in the Word. You know, like I tell you all the time, it's it's alive, right? It's it's spirit breathed. The scripture is God breathed, and and uh, and so it's it's living and it's, it's amazing and it's wonderful and it should just you know encourage you all the time. And 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 the the balance that we have is that the enemy's trying to steal it from you. So when you're not there, it's it's because the enemy's after us. So let's uh, not let him have it. So doing an overview like this is very helpful as we sort of put the Bible together and get the context and know what's going on in the process. We have worked our way over the last couple of weeks through um, an introduction to the New Testament, and then we started in Matthew uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to look uh, at Matthew 18 today, and we're going to work through as much of Matthew as we can in the rest of the day. Uh, how far we go depends on how many bunny trails I head down on the journey. So Matthew 18 starts. I want to read you the first few verses. Uh, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I'm Matthew 18, 1. Uh, he called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, remember, there was an ongoing debate among the disciples about who's the greatest and uh, which one of them should have the seats of honor. And this was a constant and it causes a lot of problems. And Jesus is continually trying to tell them they're missing the point. And he illustrates it again by having a child come and stand with him and said, you know, it's, it's, it, this is what you need to get. It's having a, like the, a, a childlike faith almost that allows us to kind of get rid of all of the mess that we accumulate and all the hardness over time and that, that comes to Jesus uh, all in and just wants what he has. It's, it's not, you know, an, an immaturity or, a, uh, you know, a... a, a you know, acting silly. It's a it's a faith that allows us to push away all of the things that would try and keep us from coming fully into um, relationship with Jesus and spending that time with Him. And so there's a humility involved, and there's there's a lot of things involved that 
often cut against the grain of, of who we are as we as we grow older. And so he's he's trying to teach his disciples who are arguing who's the greatest. No, you're missing the point. The, the, the children have it more right than you do. And it's a, there's a humility that goes with it, which will continue to teach. Actually, this weekend, if you're here, we'll talk about that. Um, uh, or next weekend. I'm getting my Beatitudes in my brain as I think ahead. But on this week, it's blessed to those who are Not this week. The following weekend, we'll talk about meekness. And so it'll be in there. So I had to keep all this stuff going on. A lot going on in the small brain. All right. So... Humility, childlike faith, those things are important. Then Matthew 18 picks up in verse 15 with a discussion on forgiveness. And I want to read it to you because uh, this is about forgiveness, and uh, these verses are about forgiveness, and then verses 21 through 35 are all about forgiveness. But there's a couple of verses in the middle here that people like to sort of take out of context and have them say different things. So let's read through there. And, and what I would say to you is it's not changing points. This, this whole thing is about forgiveness. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. All right, now the next three verses often get taken out of context. Verse 17. Or verse 18. 17, if he refuses to listen, tell other to the church and refuse to listen even to the church. Um, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Here we go. Verse 18, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, again, I tell you that if two uh, of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. So those last three verses are often pulled out of context but I would say to you that he's still talking about forgiveness here because he picks up the discussion again in verse 21 about forgiveness. So how are those verses about forgiveness? What does it mean? Well, first off, forgiveness is extremely important in the kingdom of heaven. And the bottom line issue is because we've been forgiven, we are supposed to forgive. And because we've been forgiven everything, we're supposed to learn that we're to extend forgiveness. And that that's always at the height of who we are. And so if somebody sins against us, we're supposed to go and try and make it right. We're supposed to go and say, hey, that, that was, you know, I, I, I find an issue with that. And, and hopefully your relationship will be enough that you can talk it through. If it, it continues on, you're supposed to, you know, get somebody else. And you're really supposed to take somebody that's partial, impartial with you. And uh, you, you want to try and establish what's going on so that you can deal with it so that there's not a place for the enemy to get a foothold in there and cause division in the process. But then, where this often gets taken out of context too, if, if that doesn't resolve, it says then you're supposed to treat them like you would a pagan or a tax collector. And yet, do you know how you're supposed to... See, people think, oh, we're supposed to treat them bad, but you're not. You're just supposed to treat them... So how do you treat pagans and tax collectors? Jesus loved those guys. You're, you're, so you're still... It doesn't give you a, an excuse to be mean to them. It just says, wait a minute, we may not be dealing at the same level... As, as So I have to step back a little bit, but I'm still going to love you because I'm called to love folks. And we're, we're to treat unbelievers pretty well, uh, according to the, the whole of Scripture. And so we, we go, okay, well, maybe we have a different dynamic here. And so we, we might put a boundary about it, but it's not, oh, we're going to be mean to you and shun you and do all those other things. Not going to happen. That's not how we do things. And then he says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So people often take that out of context and try and do other things with it. 
It's about forgiveness. And if you remember, I said we've already hit that, that, um, uh, that particular verse a couple chapters ago in Matthew. It's, it's, um, it's Jewish legal phraseology. And, and so it's a legal term. And what he's saying is there, because um, uh, he gave him the keys to the kingdom, remember, and said, whatever you loose and whatever you bind. He's saying you, you have this authority now. This is the context in forgiveness. Because forgiveness is a thing of the kingdom, um, you're to extend it. And, and the, the enemy is the one who tries to keep forgiveness from happening. And, and so what you're supposed to do now is uh, you're, you're supposed to go ahead and lose forgiveness in, into the, the earth because forgiveness has come to you in Christ. And so this is the process that we're to undergo. Then in verse 19, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. People take that out of context all the time and try and make that say something it's not saying. It's a forgiveness thing. It's saying that the power uh, in believers' lives when they're walking in relationship and they're not allowing things to come between that is, is crazy. And it's the will of the Father, which is more about um, when, you're, when you're walking in that will, then you tend to pray along with the, the will of the Father and you begin to see things happening far more regularly. And then, verse 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Oftentimes that gets taken a little out of context and sort of is used for little meetings. You know, but, but the reality is, the Lord, if, if you're a believer, you can be a meeting of you and Jesus is there, right? I mean, don't we believe that? So th- this is, again, about forgiveness where there's power when we're walking in unity. And we're supposed to be very careful not to allow things to disrupt the unity that we have as um, brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're supposed to be working with one another, encouraging one another. If we hit a spot where we don't agree, we ask the Holy Spirit to come and show us, and we put those things on a shelf and allow the Holy Spirit to uh, really work on us so that we can see, and we're looking to see if we're right, wrong in there, but we're not going to let it disrupt fellowship because we might disagree on some points. So he's saying all those things. And then, so he's teaching on forgiveness. That whole chunk is about forgiveness. Verse 21, so Peter comes to Jesus because the subject is forgiveness. He said, well, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? This is verse 21. When he sins against me, up to seven times, which is, uh, Peter thinks he's being magnanimous because uh, you can kind of pull out of the Old Testament text that you're supposed to give, forgive three times and then you can stop uh, an offense. So Peter kind of doubles it and adds one for good measure. So I think he's, he's being like, wow, so I'm, going, I'm going in three, but let's go seven. And, and that's going to impress Jesus because, you know, they, they wanted to do that because they're worried about who's the greatest. Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or it actually could be 70 times seven. He could, Jesus could have taken it to 490. Uh, depends on how you want to read through that. The issue is he's saying you, you don't get to stop forgiving. You, you, forgiving is something that we're going to do. And then he says, why? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all they had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded, and his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. So, obviously forgiveness is a pretty big deal. And uh, that's what that parable is all about. And the reality is, since we've all been forgiven, and uh, a priceless debt, something that we could never pay on our own. We've been forgiven everything so that we could have a relationship with Jesus. He's saying, certainly you should be able to forgive others the offenses that come your way. That's the point that he's making on this journey. So forgiveness is crucial into, in, in the kingdom walk. Now, whenever I talk about forgiveness, so I, I think there's an element that I need to add. Because sometimes we have a bad understanding of forgiveness. Um, sometimes people think that if they forgive someone, it means that they're saying that it's okay, you can just do that to me all over again. And that's not the idea of forgiveness. So, so let's make sure we understand forgiveness. Forgiveness is really saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you deal with that person and whatever that wrong that I feel I might have. I'm going to leave it in your hands because you're, you're God and you're just God and you know how these things are supposed to go. I'm not going to carry it around any longer. I'm going to let you have it. Um, and on most little offenses, that's, you know, you should be able to just forgive little stuff, no problems. Bigger stuff, when someone has really wronged us, and, and, and let me say, you know, a lot of people are wronged significantly in the course of their lives. Uh, and so this is where the issue becomes. Well, and I'll, I'll hear it often. Well, if you knew what that person had done to me, you would know that there's no way I can ever forgive them. I always say this, well, we're, we're actually commanded to forgive, so we have to. But it doesn't mean that we have to trust that person again or we have to allow that person that kind of access in our lives. Um, what it means is we're going we're gonna to let the offense, we're going to let God have the offense so we're not carrying it around any longer. If the person who has wronged us repents, then perhaps that relationship can be restored. Um, our forgiveness is not conditioned on their repentance. The restoration of the relationship is conditioned on their repentance. Our forgiveness is commanded, so we give it and we extend it to the Lord. But if the person that's offending is refuses to change, then we start to put boundaries in place so that we protect ourselves and our loved ones, and we don't allow that continue to happen. Um, and and a, a person who is truly repentant will understand that restoration is a process that requires time and rebuilding of trust. And so you can know if someone is truly repentant if they're not pushing you into a you have to forgive me now. I thought you were a believer. You're supposed to forgive me. You know, and and um, someone who's really repentant will understand that they've broken trust and that they, if they want to, they'll reestablish trust. A lot of... The, so a lot of things... So you need to forgive. If you don't forgive, you're carrying around a bitterness and somehow you're thinking it's it's keeping that person, that you're you're paying that person back by unforgiving, but you're not. You're carrying around a bitterness that they could care less about if they're not repentant. And so you just let God have it, and that takes all the power out of whatever it was they did to you. And, and you don't have to carry that any longer. So all of that's in forgiveness. It's, it's really just about going to the Lord and straightening it out with Him. And um, if, if someone is, is repentant, we're to forgive. If they're truly repentant, you know, it may take some time to rebuild trust, but it certainly should be an option. 
But if they're not repentant, then we understand that, that we don't have to just immediately trust people again if they've proven themselves not to be trustworthy. So, but forgiveness is a, you forgive. Uh, it, it, you just, what we're, what we're called to do because we've been forgiven. But it, it is, there is a little difference in there in how relationship restored. Now, we always want to see relationship restored, but it's a fallen world, broken planet. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Maybe not immediately. might take time. It's all those things. Okay. Um, in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler comes into play. Oh, I think I'm fascinated by this. Let's, let's pick up the action in verse 16. Uh, now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man re- inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Now that's a pretty pretty tricky one to say. I've always kept all of those. But he's standing up and saying, Well, I've done that. Jesus said, If you want to be perfect, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And it goes on from there. The, the idea here of what's going on is this. Um, Jesus is, is speaking to this man who seems sincere. His issue is that um, he's, he's pretty good at rule following, but when Jesus calls him closer and, and sees the issue that's going to be a distraction to him, which is money, he says, look, you need, if you really want to follow me, you've got to go give all that away and then come and follow me. And he said he can't do that, and so he doesn't. So Jesus got right to the heart of the matter. Let me say in general, it's, it's not that everybody that has money is, can't follow Jesus um, at all, um, but money is, is one of those things that um, really competes for our heart with God. Um, that's why, you know, we, we studied not long ago, you can't serve both God and mammon. That verse is in there. That's money. It's, it's kind of the spirit of money. It's more than money. It's all that it represents. Because money um, often wants to get in that spot that God should have in our lives as being the most important thing, that what we really think about, what we strive for, where we base our security, uh, all those things. But all those things are supposed to be in, in the Lord. Now, money's not bad in and of itself. Remember, the Scripture says, People misquote the scripture all the time when they say that money is the root of all evil. You know that's not right, right? What is the pro- what is the verse? The love of money is the root of all evil. That's the issue, and so that's coming into play here with the rich young ruler, and uh, Jesus is just calling him out. and And if he'd been willing to, it probably wouldn't have been an issue, uh, and that wouldn't happen. But that's the big issue that's going on, and the the disciples were freaked out of that because they felt like. The, the, when someone was rich, that they were blessed. And if they were poor, that they were not blessed. And, and so um, Jesus undoes all of that. that, that that's not how uh, 
God looks at things. It's, doesn't, it's, wealth is not necessarily a sign of the blessing of the Lord. So, uh, so that's going on in there. Oh, the landowner comes up in Matthew 20. That's one of my, if you've been around, you know that's one of my favorites. I said that just about every verse so far, haven't I? <laughs> I got a lot of favorites in the scripture. I like the whole thing. I got a lot of favorites like people too. Y'all are my favorite. Look, I got to read it to you because I love this story. So here's one. I read this story though. I want you to think about do you, how do you feel about it as far as being right? The, the justice of it all. If, um, put yourself in the story as one of the workers who'd worked all day. Okay, you've got to have it that way. You've got to have that in mind. You're one of the workers that worked all day in the hot sun. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven, this is Matthew 20, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? No one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So uh, the, the great story, right? And um, nobody, so nobody has work. Landowner comes and gives them work. Oh, you're very kind. I'm reminded of Matthew 5 when Jesus sat and began to teach. <sighs> my back's a little tweaked because of my knee, but you don't need to hear all my stuff. All right, so um, so the, the neat thing is there's work, right? This guy goes and hires these people who need jobs, and he gives them jobs, and they're very happy to go to work, um, and they're very happy with their wage. A denarius was a very fair wage for a day's work, so they're, 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 they're very happy. Hey, no work. Now we have work. This is a good thing, and then throughout the day, more people are being added, and then the, the very last hour of the day, so you guys worked all, another little group comes in. And if you'd worked all day, you'd probably be happy for that last little group to come in. You know how that when you've worked all day, like the, the hardest thing to do is clean up at the end of the day? You know that feeling when you've really pushed it and now you've got to clean Oh, no, you've got to clean up. So you're probably happy. You got some folks in and they were helping clean up. Very cool. Thank you. This is really neat. And then it comes time to get paid for the day and you're excited. You've worked hard. You're going to get your denarius. And these guys that came and just sort of basically did clean up and round up the extension cords and swept a little bit, they get a denarius. And you look at that and you think, well, it says what they thought. We, well, wow, they got a denarius. We worked all day. We, they, they worked like an hour. We've done you know, a whole day's work. We, we, wow. And they go up and they get a denarius. And they are not thrilled. And so that's always the mindset. That's a great thing. Now, 
if you put yourself in that situation and that happened to you, how would you feel? You'd worked all day, like, right, like say in the summer, you'd worked all day on the roof. All day. Here. And you, you knew that you were going to get a hundred bucks. And it was like reasonable or you thought that was good or whatever. And just using round numbers. And then some guys come in and do the cleanup at the end and the guy pays them a hundred bucks. And you, you've got to know, you feel like you deserve a whole lot more than the rest of them. But you get a hundred bucks too and suddenly your good deal is not a good deal anymore. They got their good deal. And you're mad about it. And, and uh, I always think that what, what would Jesus have thought? And the only thing I can tell you is Jesus would have been happy that everybody had work and that everybody got paid and that he, was, he would be excited that those guys at the end got blessed, really blessed. See, that's the heart and the attitude of the kingdom. And what Jesus is trying to teach us is in this is, you know, um, so we're going to come into this thing in different ways, but... But we all got the best deal available. If you know Jesus, you have the best deal in the universe. And, 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 and it was given to you. You never earned it, and you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You got it. You got the best deal. And your hope always has to be that people are coming in all the time and, and that you should never be comparing yourself to anybody else. See, that's really at the heart of it. You, you don't get to compare yourself to others in this whole thing. It's, it's really between you and the Lord. If you need to make a comparison... Compare yourself to Jesus. It's the only legitimate one you can make. And you, you ought to get humbled pretty quick and go, well, okay, there's still a long way to go. But we have a tendency in our nature to compare ourselves to other people, which is never good. Because either you'll compare yourself to somebody who's not doing very well and you'll build yourself up inappropriately, or you'll compare yourself to somebody doing better than you and you'll, you'll get envious in the process. So we always want to be careful with that in the, in the process. Let's do Matthew 22. That's all we're going to get to. This is the greatest commandment. Verse 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. The difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is the Sadducees don't believe, believe in the resurrection, which is why they are sad, you see. Thank you very much. So, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Summary that we need to know. We teach this all the time. Love God all in, heart, mind, soul, strength. Love God all in, heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We do a lot of teaching on that. Well, Jesus is actually quoting from two Old Testament verses, just so you know where it comes from. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your house and on your gates. And Leviticus 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus is saying, look, this is what matters. Love God all in heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and um, even when we've taught on the Ten Commandments, as you know, they're not the, the, the Ten, they're actually, you know, they're, they're broken into sort of two chunks. The first three being about love God, 
The last six being about loving your neighbor. And remember that fourth one is Sabbath. It's about loving yourself. That, that, that all those come together. And he's just sort of making a quick synopsis, synopsis of those. Uh, There's actually the ten words uh, that are uh, given to us. Um, we, we call them commandments all the time. But ten words. And it was a, it was a picture of how life in relationship with God should look. It was not a bunch of rules. It was about love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so all those things are tied into that process. Okay, I gotta, I'm going to stop it there because I could go on because I have a lot more material, but we'll wait because it'll be here next week. And uh, that'll be good. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and join us when you can. And uh, we'll see you soon. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page, and you can pick up. Uh, you, we'll pray for you if you put your prayers there. All right. Bye.